Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. What would you do if somebody uh, gave you $10? Just out of the blue walked up to you and said, here's $10. Uh, no instructions, no do this with it or whatever. Just, I'm just going to hand you $10. Would you like go to lunch? Or uh, would you think about how you could use it for somebody else? Would you think about uh, making a tr- quick trip to Target and their dollar section to say, I got 10 items, or would they get tricky with $3 uh, dollar items now? What would you do with $10 if somebody just walked up and gave it to you? Uh, is your first instinct like mine uh, to use it on yourself? Like, I have $10 now. Or is your first instinct to think, how can, I, uh, how can I get rid of this? How can I give it to somebody else? Now, we're going to talk about money today, which is a really great topic in church. Uh, so we can all take a breath and say, okay, let's head into this. Uh, we're going to do it. We're going to violate that uh, silence that a lot of churches observe and say we're going we're gonna to face into it because money is important. Um, by the way, one of you has $10 taped under your chair. Not kidding. You can look. Um, let actually let's take the next 20 seconds and everybody can be awkward together like really like there is $10 out there it's taped with this really pretty purple chevron tape um, that either Leslie or I bought and I'll let you figure that one out Um, anybody find it some kid is going to find it after the service there is $10 somewhere floating in here so maybe you can let that occupy your mind the entire time this morning. Where is my $10? Did any, anybody find it? Maybe over here? I'm not saying it's over here, but maybe it is. Okay. Um, so we're in this series. We're in this series that we've been calling Growing in Grace. And it's a series on the spiritual disciplines. A lot of people don't associate spiritual disciplines with grace. A lot of people think about the spiritual disciplines and they think about Uh, things that I ought to do if I'm going to be really spiritual. Um, And we can start to build up some puffiness to us spiritually if we think, I'm doing these and they're not. And I start to distance myself from other people, and we want none of that. In this series, we're we're doing a series on the spiritual disciplines called Growing in Grace. Looking at how each each of these disciplines are gifts from God, by which we could grow in our understanding of grace, receiving it and giving it. And so we've looked at prayer and silence and solitude. We looked at confession. Last week was meditation, and today we're going to talk about money. Today we're going to talk about generosity and giving. And I know that can make some people uneasy, um, but I don't think God shies away from uh, tough issues, and so we're not going to either. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you give us gifts in these disciplines so that we can learn more about you, so we can have invitations to deeper and deeper life with you, and that we don't just want to obey you and start to work out, and if I do this, then you're bound to do that for me. I don't just want to rule my own life and be my own master. I don't want to just receive from you and life, live a life from you. And I don't want to just look for purpose in life and grand meaning 
uh, and live my life for you. Our ultimate goal is to live life with you. So help us to see these disciplines in that light and help us to see the discipline of generosity in that light as a gift from you that opens up our life with you in deeper ways. As we dive in this morning, I pray that you would challenge us and that you would help us to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're just going to jump right in. In 2 Corinthians 8, we're giving a beautiful picture of giving um, in the days of the early church. And Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So in this, in this uh, somewhat short passage, Paul is talking about money and Paul is talking about giving. Three times in this passage, the word grace shows up. Wow, well done. That got something out. <laughs> we should say bless you. Um, but, but he's already doing that. <laughs> Paul, Paul uses the word grace three times in this when he's talking about giving, when he's talking about generosity. And he's talking about, he's talking about the Macedonian churches, that there's this group in Macedonia, and he, he has this incredible combination. He says, they gave though they were poor. And he uses this um, formula there's this powerful combination, he says, of joy and poverty, which is not what we would expect usually. We would often think that joy would go with abundance, that joy would go with like surplus, and that uh, a miserable life would be found in poverty. And that, for Paul, that's not the case. Paul says there's actually this combination of joy and poverty. So Paul's, Paul's uh, math says this, joy plus poverty equals what? Generosity. Joy plus poverty equals generosity. And then he goes on and he continues this picture in a way that we wouldn't expect. He says, they begged. So we think, okay, they're poor and they begged to receive. He says, they were poor, they had joy, they begged to give. Can we give? Can we be a part of giving to the saints or the people who are following Jesus, who are living in Jerusalem, who for whatever reason are really struggling in these days? Can we be a part of that? Even though we're poor, will you let us jump into that? And so Paul talks about grace to the ones that are receiving and grace to the ones who are giving. 
Why is, why is Paul able to talk about poverty, uh, poverty and joy uh, coming to fruition in generosity? Why is he able to talk about giving as a grace? And I think well, part of it is because he knows what happens in our hearts when we're giving for the right reasons. He knows what's happening. So if we go to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, Jesus has this really beautiful conversation with people all around money and around worry and anxiety and having our needs met. In Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus kind of asks a question, where is your treasure? What in life do you find most valuable? What is it that you think holds the greatest value? And Jesus pokes and he says, because if the stuff that you think is the greatest value is material blessing, all that stuff at some point goes away. It gets stolen, it rots, it doesn't last. He says, I want you to put, I want you to see the greatest value in stuff that lasts. Now, this isn't uh, this isn't a message where Jesus is being just hard and pressing down. Jesus is actually saying, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If you put your stuff, if you put your value in stuff that goes away, that actually doesn't benefit you. But if you can turn your heart toward what lasts, you'll find real value there. In verse 22, he continues, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And this whole idea of the eye uh, was this Hebrew idiom, this Hebrew word picture of generosity. Somebody who had a good eye had a generous eye. They would look at $10 and they would think of somebody else. Uh, and having a bad eye was all about uh, being selfish, um, thinking only about me. And so somebody with a good eye is looking toward others, somebody with a bad eye. And that's how Jesus starts to talk about when you have a good eye, you're looking to others and you're bringing light. When you have a bad eye, it's like a black hole that just keeps sucking and sucking and sucking. There's no light in that. And it's all darkness. It can never be uh, it can never be fulfilled. In verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And it's interesting because the word he uses, some translations have this uh, word mammon that we don't know any about it, anything about. It's a personification of money. And Jesus actually turns money in this passage into a God, and he capitalizes it. It's like money with a big M. He said, you'll either serve God or you'll serve money. You can't serve both. And so you have to figure out where your allegiance is. And then he does this beautiful thing. In the, in the passage that follows, he starts to talk about anxiety. Because I think a lot of times when we get stingy, it's not because we don't want to help people. It's not because we don't want to be generous. It's because there's something going on in us where we're worried. We're 
anxious about money. We're anxious about whether we'll have enough to pay the bills, whether we'll have enough to do this, and whether we'll have enough to keep up with that. And um, we don't think of ourselves as selfish people, but anxiety leads to a tight-fistedness. And if somehow we could get to the root of it, if somehow we could start to chip away at our anxiety, then maybe our fists start to open up. Paul tells uh, the Corinthian church to join in this grace. He says, I, I don't want you to live, I don't want you to live tight-fisted. I want you to be able to trust that Jesus will provide what you need. And as such, you can open up, stop having such a grip, stop freaking out, and start to give. And in this, it's not just a dry command and a should. In this, it's a gift. When you give, your fingers pry back and you feel a sense of freedom and you feel a sense of joy so that you can grow in this grace. So in verse 6 through 8, back to the Corinthians, he says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that just as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. It seems as if they had started giving. It seems as if at one point they had started giving and then it was like this promise toward continual giving. And as the newness wore off, there was this potential that they would stop or maybe they had stopped. And he says, I want you to finish what you started. So for me personally, there have been times where I have been deeply convicted and I'll, I'll give money and then I'll try and set up sort of an ongoing way to keep giving. And the emotion that gets me to a place here to say I had better give fades. And by the time I get a couple months down the road, then it's not, it's not pulling as strong and there's a temptation to pull back a little bit. And Paul says, what you started, I want you to finish. I want you to keep going. I want you to not, not pull back in, not start to get protective of yourself. Keep giving. Giving opens our hands, and it increases our trust. Giving also builds bridges. So Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth is largely made up of Gentiles. These are not Jews. These are people, foreign people, who had found, uh, found the love of Christ and had started following Jesus, following the way of Jesus. And the church in Corinth is giving to the church in Jerusalem who, that is largely made up of who? Jewish Christians. And they're very different ethnically. And somehow in the giving, there is a bridge that is built to say, I won't let our ethnic differences hold us apart. We are all in this together. When you give, it crosses boundaries that have been established. That's a beautiful gift. So not only does giving open up our hands, but it, it crosses bridges. It, it builds bridges. 
or on, around racial divides. And this is still relevant today. So how many of you, if you were honest, would say, um, I worry about money? I, <laughs> you can show hands. That's great. I, I worry about money. It, sometimes it comes to the, the time of the month where I'm supposed to pay bills, and I have to figure out which ones to fudge. I have to figure out which ones are going to get me in trouble if I don't pay them now, or which ones can I uh, let skate a little bit. I, I worry about money. And to live open-handed in generosity is to reject worry. It's not just to be foolish and say, well, I'm not going to pay all those things. But it is to say, I'm loved by one who has an abundance of resources. And if God wants me to be wealthy, he can dump it on me. And if he wants to teach me something in my poverty, he can do that as well. But God is a good God who does provide. And I'm not in charge. I'm going to reject worry. Paul would also say to us that no one is exempt from giving. No one is exempt from generosity. And if we look at generosity as a gift for us to participate in, then it helps us with that. Instead of being like, a, you need to give no matter how poor you are, you need to give, get up and do it. If you start to look at it as a gift, say this is an opportunity to, uh, to let our actions mimic the God who loves us and the God who provides for us and the God who gives. No matter how, you, how little you have, you can give. You can be generous. So when we talk about giving and we talk about uh, generosity and building bridges and the gift for us, we'll talk about not just money, though money is critical. We'll talk about time, talent, and treasure. So some of you are, some of you find, have actually a very easy time giving money, but uh, your time is a much harder thing for you to give. Some of you uh, look at yourself and you're very good, you're very skilled at something, and you look at it as a way for it to benefit you. If I use my skill in this, I could actually make money. And you can look at the talents that you have and the skills you have as a way to be generous. So with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, uh, which was... Uh, this fictional narrative between Satan and one of his little evil uh, minion-type demon guys. And uh, he's, he's two of the higher-ups that are talking, and he's giving instruction. Uh, he's giving his instruction to this apprentice demon. And here's, here's one of the things when it comes to time, talent, treasure, that uh, the older, more experienced demon gives to the younger. He says, you must therefore zealously guard in his mind, in our minds, in our minds, zealously guard in their minds the curious assumption, my time is my own. Let him have the feeling that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. And we are guilty of that. We look at our time and say, this is my time. I have 24 hours today. What am I going to do with it? How can I spend it on me? How can I? And I'm going to be the master of my time. And in the same way that I think Paul would say, open it up and, and see it not just as yours, 
but as something that has been given to you by God that you use well. That starts to peel our fingers back. And we say, how can I give? If I have been provided for, how can I in turn start to give? Time, talent, treasure. Paul points to the example of the Macedonians, but then he's not done. Then he takes it next, uh, to the next step. His main point he comes to in verse 9. So he's talked about the Macedonians. He says, now I want you to finish what you started. And then in verse 9 he says, for, which is a way of saying, because you know, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul says, this, all of this is about Jesus. All of this is about Jesus. He is the ultimate expression of generosity. And you, you start to realize we're not just talking about money now. Money gets to a much, much deeper thing. And, and Paul says, Jesus was rich. That doesn't mean he had a like wallet that was stacked. That means he sat on the throne. He was in heaven and he had all of everything at his disposal. And he said, for our sake, he gave that up. He stepped off the throne. He emptied himself of all of that at his disposal. And he came down here. Philippians 2 talks about how he he got off the throne and he came down here, that he would lower himself. The God of all would become a person. And not just a person, but a, a poor person. That he didn't come as a king. He came to a little hick town. And he lived a life of poverty. And he didn't just live a life of poverty. He ended up being killed in the most gruesome way possible. So Jesus, Paul says, though he was rich, became poor for our sake. And why did he do it? So that he could offer us a life with God again. Not so that we could just conform and just start to obey. Not so that we could just copy him. So that we could actually have a life with him. So that we could actually be back in a relationship with the God who created us and loves us and is holy. And because we ran away and because we're stuck in our sin and stained by it, we needed Jesus to come to invite us to life with God again. And this is true richness, that we would experience life with God and model after him and imitate him in his very character. One commentator wrote, Jesus' incarnation illustrates that the grace expressed in love is the willingness to give up one's own rights for the sake of meeting the needs of others. That we would stop, that we would stop positioning ourselves to say, don't take away my rights. Though we have a right to. That true generosity doesn't stand there with hands up in defense saying, these are my rights. True generosity says, I will give up my rights so that you can benefit. I see you in need and I will give that up so that I can help you. Now, does that apply to money? It absolutely does. We live in a place 
We live in a country that has talked about the American dream. And there's a lot of good in the American dream. No matter where you start from, we don't live in a caste system. No matter where you start from, if you work hard, you can grow up. But at the same time, maybe that's not the point. Maybe the point isn't that if I really work hard, I can earn a lot of money so I can spend a lot of money on me. Maybe, maybe God would call us to be the kind of people that would say, what I have been given I will turn around and give. I don't have to defend my rights. I don't have to defend my American dream. I can be generous. I can be open-handed. And I can give. Are there people who could use my help? Yes. You will never, you will never find that answer to be no. Are there people that could use my help? Yes. Paul says in verse 10, in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Paul says, it's, I love that you want to be generous. If you don't want to be generous, start there. And if you want to live a life with God, maybe your first application point, maybe your first thing is, God, would you help me to want to be generous? And you might have to back up even from there to say, God, would you show me how generous you have been with me? Because I think I'm poor. I think I struggle. I think I don't have an abundance. Would you show me how abundantly you have given me life? And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is another invitation to say, he came so that in your poverty, you could find a life with him. And that is the only way that you will ever truly be filled. You have an invitation to life. And you start praying, show me how much life you've given me. Show me how rich you've made me. And give me a desire to be generous. And show me how to give. Do you know Jesus? Do you know how generous he is? We give because he gave. And he didn't just give in the past tense. He gives now. And we know out of his character that he will continue to give. We know that we can trust him. We give because he gave and he continues to. I'm going to invite Kevin up. Uh, Kevin, who I've asked in the past if he'd ever be interested in preaching, has said just no. Um, but if you give him an opportunity to talk about something on his heart, um, it can be really, really cool. So Kevin's going to talk about what this looks like in real life. No, each each elder has their area of responsibility. So I'm I'm the finance administrative guy. I crunch crunch numbers. Um, yeah, this this isn't my sweet spot. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I I do have a story and I've got some notes. So we'll just get into it. But back in late 2013, my wife Tracy and I were expecting our first child, and I was I was at home that night 
this night doing, paying some bills, just going over our finances, getting some things in order, doing that sort of thing. And uh, I, I just started getting really anxious about our financial situation. And for me, this is pretty weird. I'm, I, I don't have a history of anxiety. I'm not typically worrier. And, uh, and honestly, I didn't have much to be worried about. Our situation was in good shape, but, but we had this kid coming and you know, I got to thinking, how much is this kid gonna eat? <laughs> Does it wanna go to college? And I, you know, all these things, I just started getting really, really wound up and unnecessarily wound up. And like we already discussed, I think a lot of us have all been in that place around money and, and with family thrown in, I'm sure we all have. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just wrestling with this thing. And um, as, I, as I'm going through it, I, I know I should be trusting God. I know he provides for our family. I know we've been well taken care of and well blessed. But, but as, as ridiculous as I know this anxiety is, I'm just not getting past it. So um, as I'm kind of going through this, uh, earlier that week or that day, I don't remember exactly, I had received a promotional mailing or something from CareNet as, as they were doing some fundraising. And, and I'm just thinking through all this, and, and I just feel really, really strongly led to give to CareNet. And... Uh, I don't hear a voice or anything like that. It's just a strong compulsion. So I sit down on my computer. I give 50 bucks to Karenet. And, uh, and it was just weird. Like the anxiety was just gone, 100%. And, uh, you know, it just got me thinking about some things. And it just so happened around that same time, DR was actually having some financial challenges. We weren't in horrible shape. But, but things were looking a little tight. And there had been some a little anxiety around that too, or just talk about it. So anyway, after, after this just happened, I called Tim Dunn, who was our lead pastor at the time right then, and just explained to him what, what I had just experienced. And we got to talking about that. And I said, you know, I really feel strongly that DR needs to commit to a certain level of corporate giving right now. So, so he and I talked about, we agreed on it. We talked to the rest of the elders and, uh, at that time, we committed to giving 10% of everything that comes in the door goes out. And it was a matter of we said, you know, if it comes down to keeping the lights on or doing that giving, we're going to give. So then in 2014, we were at that 10% level. And we, we surpassed it, actually, and surpassed it by quite a bit. And then in 2000, uh, sorry, that would have been 15, we bumped that level up to 11%. We surpassed it again. And now in 14, we're giving 12%, and we have hopes of surpassing it once again this year. And, and honestly, since, since we made that commitment, I don't think, you know, DR is still not rich, but I don't think we've had any anxiety in the elder room since that time around our finances, and, and God's blessed us. So I, w I want this to be clear, you know, God, God didn't rain down money on DR. He didn't rain down money on me personally. You know, in fact, I had 50 bucks less once, once this was over. But the, uh, but the anxiety was gone. This, this isn't any kind of prosperity gospel. And I'm not, you know, promising that if you give, you know, money is just going to rain down. But um, what I did learn through this and what I, what I think I already knew but just brought some light to it was that, you know, God, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't want to take from us. Um, he doesn't need to take from us. He's generous to us. But what he wants to take from us is that burden of anxiety, that burden of control, 
the burden of, you know, pressure to provide. And, uh, you know, ultimately it's a matter of the heart. God wants you to trust him with everything that includes your money and everything that goes with it. Um, the discipline of giving is an integral part of trusting God. And he wants to take those burdens away. And without giving, trusting him fully and allowing those burdens to be taken away is, is going to be extremely difficult. So that's all. At DUR, we talk about our big three in gospel community and mission. And if we look at money and generosity around those three things, we would say the gospel is that God who is rich invites us into that, that we would live life with him and not just focused on financial wealth, but that we could actually experience life with God and find a full and abundant life when we talk about community, is that God actually dumped us here in a community, whether by choice or not, with people who we would choose or not. And we get to take part in a community that cares for one another, that we have each other's back, that God put us together and we will have each other's back. And we get to give and we get to receive. And hopefully if you've been here long enough, you've been on both sides of that, that you've been on the giving and the receiving side of generosity, financially or in time or in talent, in people taking care of each other. So gospel, community, and mission, like Kevin just said, we don't want the money of this church just to be spent on this church, but we commit to giving outside of us to our community here, to organizations that are doing good things here, to people in our community who are in need and uh, around the world that we want to put our money where God opens our eyes to see needs, gospel, community, and mission. So when it comes to you, I want you to look at your time and your talent and your treasure. Malachi 3.10, actually, in, in all of the ways that we are not supposed to test God, Malachi 3.10, God actually shows up and says, with money, you can test me. With money, you can test me. And not in a prosperity gospel way, but he says, I want you to see when you give that I will come through for you, that I will hold you up, that I will take off this burden like Kevin said, that you don't have to stress and be worried about providing for yourself, that I will take care of you. So here's the question that gets sticky is, are you giving If you call Damascus Road Church your home, you should be giving here. You should be giving to the church so that we as a body can corporately bless others. So that we can, we can be sound financially and so we can give. If you call DR your home, you should be giving. No one will tell you how much. No one will come and hunt you down and shame you. We will not use guilt, but we want you to see that your money is a spiritual issue. It's not just a standalone thing. Like Kevin said, if you want to trust God, but withhold money, you're going to have a really tough time with that.
We want everyone who calls this place their home to experience the gift of generosity. So this week, look for ways that God has made you rich. And this week, look for ways to practice generosity. As you walk out the door, you have an, uh, a great opportunity with the baby bottles right there. If you didn't grab one, um, not in a guilt and shame kind of way, but you, can, you could grab one and say, I'm going to practice generosity starting with my change, starting with this little thing that seems inconsequential but can get, be a gift and a blessing to CareNet. You could start there. If you are scrapped for money, this isn't a place where you just say, I'm, I'm going to give these wads and wads of cash. It, you have permission to start wherever you are, that you start small, because the amount isn't the deal. It's your heart and what you're doing with it. And as you open up your fingers little by little by little, and you get to experience more of the generosity of God, that's the point. May we see and understand and live life with the God who is generous beyond our understanding. And may we grow in this grace as we receive the fullness of life lived with him. And may we grow in the grace of giving, looking for ways that we can be generous. The worship team in a little bit is going to come up and we're going to worship and we're going to go to the communion table. And it's a wonderful opportunity to spend some time reflecting on our generous God. It's a wonderful opportunity to look at Jesus and say, you're the ultimate expression of generosity. You gave everything you had for me. As you take, as you take the little cracker in the cup, you can think about his act of generosity on your behalf. And you can think about the life that he offers you in him, with him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us see you? Money can be such a sticky conversation and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. When we understand that money it gets at our heart. It gets at our worry and our anxiety and our trust. Um, when we understand uh, that you are a good and generous God. That you'll stop at nothing to invite us to life with you. Would you help us to see you that way? And would you help us to see money in you? And you are a God who provides for us. You are a God who gives to us, and you are a God who invites us to be blessings to others. Help us to grow in this grace, in this gift of giving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.